electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the markets, the state of your money. Our investment committee here to kick that around. Josh Brown, John Najarian, Courtney Gibson is the president of Loop Capital Markets. Rob Seachin is the co-founder and managing partner of New Edge Capital Group. I'll take you to the wall, show you where we are trading. Stocks are higher following Wednesday's big sell-off. We're reacting to Apple and Facebook earnings, the latest in the GameStop saga. There's the Dow up uh, almost 600 points. S&P is good for nearly 2%. NASDAQ better than 1%. Russell is good for one-third of 1%. It's good to see everybody. Uh, Josh Brown, I'll go to you first. Uh, What the market taketh away a day ago, the market's trying to give it back today. Uh, your, your thought here on post-big tech earnings, at least a couple of them, what we're seeing so far in the trade of this market. Well, the earnings for the largest components of the indexes were fantastic. Like, there's no way to really look at them and say anything other than that. So you did have a, an initial knee-jerk sell, sell the news, that happens all the time. But I think if you're a long-term investor, not based on memes, but like for retirement, um, you're looking at these names. You're looking at Apple report $111 billion, services revenues through the roof. iPad grew 18% year over year in the quarter. Remember when iPad was a dead uh, product line? Uh, Like everything that you would want is uh, revenue for wearables up 30%. Like all of the superlatives are there. So you say to yourself, hey, look, I got an opportunity. Even Facebook looks like it wants to bounce. So these are the market caps that matter to what the market does. So when you cite the Dow up 600 something points, the S&P, it's not moving on Tootsie Roll or or AMC theaters. It's moving on these stocks. (laughs) So that's the story today. And uh, I know a lot of other stories right now, which I'm sure you'll give me time for. I, I, I definitely will. Um, Corp, but what does it say about, you know, yesterday you're down as much as today you're up? Um, and not much has changed, right? I mean, Apple expectations were high going in. Apple knocked it out of the park. Now, Apple may not be participating today as some would have expected given the numbers that they produced. And we don't have to talk about Apple specifically at this very moment, but just the market environment that we're experiencing over the last 24 hours. Hey, Scott, good to see everybody here today. A lot has actually changed in 24 hours, right? And so without us actually speaking to the the big elephant in the room yet, um, when we think about what people had to do to cover shorts, uh, they sold their winners and they had to sell the names that were the most liquid in order to do that. And so when you look at some of the numbers, Apple, Apple produced $111 billion in sales in a quarter. 
right? I mean, they're, they're like a small country to in and of themselves. There's absolutely zero reason that name should be down today other than people that potentially were forced to sell for one reason or another. So, <laughs> you know, I think that that's what you're seeing today. You're seeing people going back in and buying up names that they know for the long term are going to be incredibly well positioned like the Apples, like the Facebooks. I mean, 7% of the S&P sits in one name, right? So, I mean, let's let's really think about what we're seeing here. And, um, and obviously the VIX in and of itself I don't know where it is right now, but I think it spiked north of 30, right? And um, it was a risk-off trade that we saw yesterday, and suddenly folks are kind of coming to their senses a little bit today and uh, picking up names that they know are going to perform well for the long term. So, so I want to be clear. You, you think, because Stephanie Link thought so yesterday as well, you think some of what happened yesterday was directly related to what we've all been watching and witnessing with GameStop? Absolutely. This market is not one name, one player, one institution, just as the U.S. trading markets are now global, just as our economy is global. What happened in GameStop yesterday had incredible implications, and it's not because of retail investors. And let's, you know, I I don't want to jump to it unless you want me to, Scott. This is your show, your world. But I do want to just point out, you know, when you talk about 70, 80 million shares traded yesterday alone, Courtney, Josh, uh, uh, my mom, they're not out there able to trade that much stock in one day. That's institutional money. And so, you know, these, the momentum trade that happened yesterday was absolutely piled on with quants, which is not a bad thing. Like, I want to be very clear. These are strategies that occurred. But the quants, the large index funds, the institutional asset managers that we cover at Loop Capital Markets, those players were involved. So um, whether it was for the same reasons as the initial retail investors or not, those players were incredibly active. And they had to be given the trading volumes that we saw. Yeah. Um, John Ajarian, you know, you are involved in a lot of the quote unquote Reddit trades. I I suppose that's what we'll call them just for the moment. Um, You know, a a lot of these names you've been involved in. Do do you think that that activity and all those names is having a broader influence on the way the market itself is, is reacting? Or are they really two separate things going on at the same time? I think you had, uh, Stephanie talked about sentiment yesterday, Scott, and I think this is where she was right and Courtney and Josh are right. Uh, Sentiment does get affected when people see a market going so nuts when you've got, whether it's AMC or even BlackBerry, you know, a a recognized commodity player (laughs) that basically produces handsets and uh, connectivity for those of us around the planet that want to stay connected. Um, When you're looking at that, I think you're seeing um, people getting nervous about exactly what was going on in the markets. And as they get nervous about, well, who's watching this market and so forth, that's why I think some people did pull back a little bit um, yesterday. And some people were selling, to Courtney's point. But I'll say in the case of Apple, Scott, a week ago, Apple was 126. It went to 144 yesterday because everybody was upgrading their outlook, and I talked about that. Everybody upgraded, upgraded, upgraded price targets after the fact that's normal. Before the event occurs, that's why we had that big run-up in Apple, 126 to 144. Um, now we've got, Scott, um, Facebook getting all the upgrades today after the fact, which is, again, 
far more normal that the analysts would yeah, but do why, that. Why is after Apple down today? If so Apple I'm just had, saying, if then, Apple had its well, most profitable, because of that, if Apple had its most profitable quarter ever, um, everybody mm-hmm. under the sun is now raising their price targets who hadn't already going into the print. Why is Apple down mm-hmm. today? Judge, it's yeah, up fifty percent in six this? months. Yeah, mm-hmm. and why is it down this it's much up today, 50%. Scott? I mean, it's yeah, exactly. It's virtually no. The, the, there's no downside. It's not selling off hard or anything like no, that. No, I'm not saying like it I is. Say, from 120. I'm right, not saying it is. But there is. There was some commentary after the the print, certainly, and then earlier today of. Wow, they knocked it out of the park. I'm kind of surprised to see Apple trading where it is. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying whether it should be up or should be yeah. down. I, that, that's not for me to, to say. Uh, it is noteworthy, however, if you even with the run that the stock had into the print, if the bar was high, which it would have been given the run that Josh just said Apple uh, had, if you have the most profitable quarter ever and you you know have a business oh, that seems to be hitting on all cylinders, it's a little bit of a surprise. That's all. Yep, just a little bit of a surprise, but again, not a big deal, especially with all the distractions around us that everybody's talking about. Um, I I think it was uh, more of that, Scott, that we just ran so much. It was buy rumors, sell news, like Courtney said, and they're not even hardly denting it by selling this news. And I think it goes right back to work in the next week and the next month and the next quarter because it's juggernaut and it continues to exceed expectations. So I think it'll be right back to uh, a path towards 170 and then the targets will get raised and then it'll be 190 and the targets will get raised and so forth. Yeah, uh, the targets are getting raised a lot. Uh, The highest look to be 170 Mm -hmm. from three different firms. Rob Seachin, welcome back. New edge, new firm, new voice. Go ahead. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Scott, when I listen to everybody talk, the market is a price discovery mechanism. And when I look at what's happened in the last few days in this casino-like environment, it seems like we're at the infancies of a a building excess that is happening. And we all know that excesses, once they build, they blow too big, and then they may explode. They have unintended consequences for other parts of the market, whether that be the tech bubble, the housing bubble, which, which caused the great financial crisis, or some other bubble-type environment. I don't think this is that, but I think Courtney's right. What you saw yesterday was some of the unintended consequences related to unwinds of positions. I, I would disagree that broadly hedge funds these uh, were, were engaged in this. You might have had some quant trading strategies engaged in this, but you know who my client base is and the people that I talk to. I believe there's going to be a little bit of carnage in that space this month, and you, it's you not think? for fundamental reasons. You think? It is absolutely not for fundamental reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let me bring in our headliner today um, because a good segue to Lee Cooperman. He is the chairman and CEO of the Omega family office. Lee, uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks for being on. Nice to be with you. Let me let me just get your your broad perspective first of of what you make of the whole GameStop situation as you've been watching it unfold for these last couple of weeks. Well, Rob referred to the casino environment, and I think he's on the right track. Uh, What's going on is no surprise. Prior to the virus hitting, the number of unemployed people in the country was, I think, 5.7 million. That ballooned to over 23 million. 
is now dropped to about 10.7 million. And it's very clear that the Fed and Congress is pulling at every stop to get employment back to where it was pre-virus. So they create an environment of free money. We have no commissions anymore because of Robin Hood. Uh, we uh, have an administration that is spending money like drunken sailors. I'm not being critical. The only person I'm really critical of, to be honest with you, is Powell. Because when he says that uh, the stock market is not expensive against interest rates, he's leaving out the second part where interest rates are ridiculously priced. You know, uh, if interest rates belong at near zero, you're not supposed to make more than 2 or 3% in the stock market. So uh, I, I think what's going on is a logical consequence of zero interest rates, zero commissions, uh, and very stimulative fiscal policy. So are, are you saying? Are you are you saying? Are, are you saying that? So it, it's it's partly the Fed's fault for putting you know a lot of gasoline on on the fire over the the last many years. Uh, but also, I, I I sense you're suggesting. Tell me if I'm wrong. That you think this is part of a broader populist movement, perhaps created by the very environment that you just talked about the Fed uh, instigating, if you will. I'm not critical of what the Fed per se is doing. I'm critical of the dialogue. In other words, the, you know, Greenspan was early, but he referred to irrational exuberance. The market is uh, very, very pricey. It's we have been pulling forward demand. The outlook longer term is more questionable. Uh, and I don't think the Fed is giving any indication to the public that that's part of the picture. So I would say that I think I understand what's going on in the market. Uh, this is not going to end well when it ends. And the bigger question is, when does it end? I don't think it ends soon, but I think it will end and it will end very badly for the public. You know, whenever you go into the S&P at current multiples, the one year, three year, five year returns have been very pedestrian. You've that's the environment you, we're heading for. You, you've said in the past that, you know, where it was different instances. We weren't talking about the, the GameStop situation, that it was going to, quote unquote, end in tears. Um, there are a lot of tears being felt throughout the, the business that you made your living in. And I'm curious to get your reaction to this notion of this uprising, a, a revolt, uh, if you will, against the hedge fund community. The the activity that took place in GameStop against some of the short funds and just this general idea that we're sick and tired of of watching hedge funds make all of this money. Hedge fund managers make all of this money whenever they don't get money. The government bails them out. They crash the the banks. Big banks crashed the system in 2008 and got bailed out. And this quote unquote little guy got left holding the bag. I mean, how do you react the big that. boy is going to big to, to a degree as well. Listen, in 2008, Bernanke figured out he had to rescue the economy, which was going down the toilet. And he figured out the best way to rescue the economy is to create wealth, because wealth leads to consumption. And the best way to create wealth is to get the stock market up. The trouble with that is 80% of the stock is owned by 20% of the people. Okay? And uh, uh, so uh, what they did subsequently is they created a, a negative real return environment for savings. So you had no reward for being prudent and saving money. And that's what we're doing now. We have a new administration in place. I did vote for President Biden because I felt I voted my values, not my pocketbook. But if you listen to what Mr. President Biden has to say, 
Basically, they're going to raise taxes on the individuals. They're going to raise taxes on corporations. They're going to raise the capital gains tax rate. It's not going to be user friendly, you know. And uh, but I don't know that they're going after hedge funds uh, per se. But uh, well, there was definitely some of that, right? I mean, there there was definitely some of that, and you could listen, see I've it. I've been in the- doing this for fifty five years. I can tell you, the short sellers, generally speaking, are more knowledgeable than the long players because they understand if you're wrong on a long. As it goes down, it becomes less of a problem in your portfolio. If you're wrong on a short, it becomes a bigger problem in your portfolio. So they tend to be very careful. They're very smart. And if I had a guess, I, I've never met him in my life. I've never spoke to him. But Gabe Plotkin will have turned out to be right uh, in his view of GameStop. And the only surprise to me, to be honest with you, in GameStop is why they have not used this ridiculous price to raise some cheap capital as Elon Musk did in Tesla or the, the guy that converted his AMC sure. note. So, so on that note, um, I share your sentiment in wondering why the, the company hasn't done that, and I think a lot of other people do. Um, these short hedge fund managers, Mr. Plotkin included, um, may have great track records, may be the most brilliant people on this planet, and can still have arguably the worst risk management that some have ever seen. And when you look at the way that this stock was shorted, you know, 140 percent of the float being short, um, a tremendous number of shares being shorted. As David Tepper told me uh, a little while ago, lack of risk management is non-discriminatory, right? So it can happen to the big guy. It can happen to the individual investor. And it appears that as brilliant as Mr. Plotkin may have been, there are serious questions about the lack of risk management. Um, I'm not prepared to condemn his risk management. I don't know enough about what he does, you know, um, and uh, I don't know his results. But it, it doesn't have to be specific to him. Just this idea of you know, how can I, listen, you guys were burying Bill Ackman three years ago. And I remember writing you an email saying if I had a bet on somebody, I'd bet on Bill Ackman coming back. You know, you, the, the press tends to jump on people when they're down. I don't want to jump on him. I don't know him. I've never met him, uh, but he's got an excellent record, and we all make mistakes. You know, I've been reasonably successful, but I, I, I'd be the first to admit that you could parade my mistakes up Fifth Avenue five abreast. We all make mistakes, but I'm not prepared to condemn his risk management because I don't know the specifics. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily asking you to condemn his personal risk management. I don't know him, and I've never met him. I've never spoken to him in my life. The broader point being of what you said was, you know, short sellers are known to be, um, you know, some of the really, really smart people. I'm paraphrasing what you said. All of you guys have a there's a general perception that you are the smartest money and that the retail investor is the quote unquote dumb money. What David Tepper suggests is that this whole thing is non-discriminatory. You could be the best investor in the world, the smartest guy around, and still and have risk management that is questionable. GameStop, in my opinion. An investor does not own GameStop. A speculator owns GameStop. Let's not confuse speculators with investors. GameStop business was going down the toilet. Their revenues were declining. Their EBITDA was negative. They have no earnings. And they had an enormous market cap. This is speculators playing around. And what I said... Uh, probably a year ago in your program, we're not dealing with one market. We're dealing with a market of stocks. There are three markets out there, okay? And the Fed has created a situation where it's hard to determine anything's overvalued if you want to discount things by a 1% discount rate. 
you know, one market is the fang market. And uh, uh, John mentioned Apple. I mean, these guys are doing extremely well. I went back, you know, and I spent some time looking at 1972. 1972, the Nifty 50 era, okay, Polaroid was 90 times earnings. Avon was 65 times earnings. Sears was 35 times earnings. The 10-year government bond was 6.5%. The 10-year government bond is 1%. And the multiples of Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook are materially lower than they were in 1972. So nobody can tell me they're overvalued. Okay, they're not overvalued if you want to accept current interest rates. I don't accept current interest rates as being sustainable because we're in an abnormal world. Think about it. There's $15 trillion of sovereign debt with a negative interest rate. You lend money to Germany for 10 years, they give you back less than you lent them. Does that make any sense to you? It makes no sense whatsoever to me. So we have a bunch of central bankers experimenting with policy, and we're going to create a big bubble down the road. And I think we're pulling forward demand. This nation was founded 245 years ago. We had no national debt. We now had ended last year, I think, at $21 trillion, going up to 3 or $4 trillion a year. It's not sustainable. We have to service that debt. So I think we're pulling forward demand. This will, this will normalize itself. But right now, the party's going on. I went back and I reread a book written, I guess it was in the 60s or uh, late 60s, called The Money Game by Jerry Goodman, alias Adam Smith. We uh, outlined the goings of that time. What's going on today makes that look like child's play. And it's really the result of, like I said, free money, free commissions, getting checks from the government, sitting at home and trading your own account. And there's no way anybody, I'm not involved in GameStop. I'm not long, I'm not short. Okay, there's no way to convince me that GameStop is not going to be a lower price stock a year or two years from now. Nobody. The, 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 uh, does this remind you of, of any other specific period that you witnessed through your career? Another stock, another situation? You have always quoted, you know, the famous John Templeton uh, thing where, you know, bull markets, you bull know, market, whatever, 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 they end in euphoria. Turn optimism and die in euphoria. What I'm trying to say, there's three markets out there, okay? The FANG market is not expensive if you look at it relative to interest rates. Then you have the Robinhood market, which I have said before on your program, is going to end in tears, in my opinion. And regrettably, the very next day after I said that, some gentleman committed suicide because he lost a lot of money trading. That is a loser's game. They don't have any idea what they're doing. Carl Icahn is as smart as they come. He unloaded his mistake in Hertz at 72 cents a share. And three weeks later, the Robinhood crowd has a trading of five bucks in bankruptcy. The, the enterprise value of the airlines today are by and large higher than they were prior to COVID because of all the debt and equity they've issued. Makes no sense. Right, but part of the issue, part, part of the issue, what gets, I think, you know, gets the ire of this, this cohort is when, when people like you suggest, quote, they don't have any idea what they're doing. Um, some may be novices, you know, to, to this game. There may be some people who, you know, you know, throw something at the television when you say something like that and say, no, I, I, I actually do my work and I made these trades. I'm a, I may be a speculator, but I'm good with that. That's the way this market is reacting. And I'm just going to play this game. Bill Parcells said it well. You are what your record says you are. If you're an astute trader and you can consistently take profits out of the market, God bless you. That's a good way of doing it. I'm an investor. I don't damn anybody who does it differently. I respect people that generate results. All I'm saying is I would be shocked if the guys that are long, you know, um, GameStop will turn out to be right. 
and I, and I, I know very little about it. I know very little about it. I've never owned it. Uh, I know it's a deteriorating business, and uh, the valuation I can switch on a, a screen makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Well, let me. I've said over the years I've noticed that the short sellers tend to be smarter than the guys alongside. But I don't damn anybody for what's going on. Let, I mean, let, uh, let me do this, Lee, if I, if I may, please. Let me take a break real quick. We'll come back uh, because you did sure. sort of get caught up in this a little bit um, with AMC Networks, which I think you still own. Uh, we'll talk I, about I, that I, on the other side. Let's talk about that after the break. Let's do it. Okay. We're back with Lee Cooperman right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The South African variant of the coronavirus has been detected in the U.S. for the first time. South Carolina health officials say they have confirmed two cases. Neither person has a recent travel history, and the two cases are connected. In Indianapolis, a 17-year-old has been charged with murder in the killing of his parents, two teenage siblings, and his brother's pregnant girlfriend. The Indianapolis police chief says it is the largest mass shooting in that city in more than a decade. In Lebanon, lockdown protest turns violent, security forces firing tear gas after getting pelted with rocks. Demonstrators called out deteriorating living conditions under the strict pandemic rules. And in Argentina, a new report says this could be the largest dinosaur ever found. It could be even bigger than a 76-ton Tyrannosaurus, also found in Argentina. Researchers have yet to determine whether it belongs to a new species. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back for more of your conversation with Lee Cooperman. All right, Sue, we appreciate it. Thank you. We are back with uh, Mr. Cooperman. Let's talk about uh, AMC Networks because... We've been watching AMC, which is caught up in this whole thing as well. But AMC Networks is, has, for a period of time at least, uh, had its own, you know, big moves. There's, a, you know, Actually, an, that, that was one I was long. Listen, don't get me wrong. I wish I was long GameStop at the two on its way to 500. I was long AMCX, and uh, this is an example of people's short-sightedness. Number one, it's an extremely well-run company. I think Josh Sapin is a fabulous CEO. The company is more than 50% owned by the Dolan family, which has made their investors a lot of money. They're very patient people. They have very long-term in their orientation. They did a self-tender, and I believe they bought back 18% of the company at around $25. It traded down after the, the buyback to 23, and I added to my position. Okay, uh, you look, the short interest was equal to almost 80 or 90 percent of the float. If you take out the Dolan family shares, the, the, the short interest was 80 or 90 percent of the float. The company was going to earn nine dollars a share. and The stock was trading at 23 and change because they have this view of cord cutting. Okay, and the, the market was totally indiscriminate. And so uh, uh, I actually sold my stock yesterday uh, in the low 70s. And um, I was really sorry to sell it because I believe over time it'll be worth more. I think Josh is a terrific CEO, and one day they'll probably merge with somebody. But uh, this is a you know mistaken identity by the market. 
people were people claimed it was up because it was being confused with AMC. But the truth it was up because they had no business having an 80 or 90 percent of the float short in the company earning nine dollars trading in the in the 20s. So you're, to- which, uh, you're totally out. Of, you're totally out of it or you're still I'm left with 100,000 shares and I'm short a thousand options against it. So I'm fully written the strike price of my options. I'm short sufficiently low that. I wouldn't even mind if it went back down yet. I recreated my position. Do you do you feel like, you know, more broadly that we're witnessing what some are suggesting is a changing of the guard, if you will, on, on Wall Street, Lee, where the individual investor is is being empowered uh, in ways that they feel they never have been? Uh, you could talk about some of the trading platforms that exist, um, being able to express your views to your your you know, in, within the cohort on social media, uh, and that this is a real changing of the guard, the retail this, investor this, being this engaged too, in the market in ways that they haven't been in, in so long. This too shall pass. You know, uh, in 1972, I was told by a smart salesman at Goldman Sachs, I was the partner in charge of research, I could stop following anything other than Nifty 50. There's no market for them. Nifty 50 collapsed. It was a causative factor. What happened in 1973 is OPEC raised the price of oil tenfold. It put us into recession, and the and a lot of these companies took years and years and years to recover. Then I was around for 1987 portfolio insurance, where everybody said, "Well, we could pay a high price for the market, so we could insure our portfolio." And that turned out to be a bogus concept. And in 1999-2000, we saw Cisco at 200 times earnings, you know, and the market you know had this view that the the technology is going to inherit the earth. So I've been through cycles like this in the past. This is extreme, uh, more so, but this too shall pass. At the end of the day, the stock market reflects economic progress or lack thereof. Why would it pass? I am of the view. Why should it? Let me ask you, why should it pass? Why should it pass? Shouldn't we be? Water water seeks its own level. You know, know, do you think it's normal? For people to lend money to the United States of America for 1% forever? Do you think it's normal to give money to Germany for half of a negative oh, interest? Oh, okay. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about two different things. You're, you're saying that no, the environment... it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. The reason the market is doing what it's doing is people are sitting at home, getting the checks from the government, basically trading for no commissions and no interest rates. And I'm not saying they're stupid. Show me a guy with a good record of consistently, and I'll show you a smart guy. You know, Bill Parcell says it well. You are what your record says you are. I'm not damning them. I'm just saying, from my experience, this will end in tears. You know, GameStop is not worth $500. It's not worth $400. not worth $300. not worth $200. not even worth $100. not even worth $50. I don't know what the hell it's worth, to be honest with you. I'm not involved with it. And I hate to talk about things I don't know anything about. Well, I would find you, when, you, when do, you do know about valuing companies, right? I mean, that's what you did yeah, for a living. You try to come absolutely. up with a value based on what their projected earnings and growth prospects were, were going to be. What's so interesting about this particular case is that none of this appears to be based in any way, shape or form on the fundamentals that people like you and seasoned investors have grown up on. So it's maybe a little harder to, to accept and what take. What I'm saying is that it'll ultimately return to normal. You know, for the last 50 years, the 10-year U.S. government bond is yielded in line with nominal GDP. So nominal GDP is a summation of real growth and inflation. So let's say you got two and two, it's 4%. You're going to lose a lot of money when the bond goes from 1% to 4%. Okay, the average multiple has been 15. It's currently over 22, approaching 23. You know, the, we have pulled forward demand. 
you know, either you're, you're into MMT and you're saying that deficits don't matter and, and you know, people accept a negative interest rate uh, over a period of time. It just is leading, everybody's being pushed out of the risk curve. Think about it this way. You know, 10, 15 years ago, the risk-averse person bought T-bills. He woke up and said, or she woke up and said, I can't survive on zero. I'll take duration inflation risk and I'll buy T-bonds. The T-bond buy says, I can't survive on 1%. I'll buy industrial credits. The industrial credit person says, I can't survive on 2 or 3%. I'm going to buy high yield. The high yield buyer says, I can't survive on 4% or 5%. I'm going to buy CLOs, collateralized loan obligations, which are more obscure. They're uh, uh, less richly valued. Okay? And, th and then the CLO buyer says, you know, the stock market's so hot, I'm going to take 25% of my fixed income fund and put it into equities. And the equity guy is saying, I'm going to buy Bitcoin. So everybody's moving on the risk curve. Yeah. And one of these days, not, not today, not tomorrow, but one of these days, people are going to come in on the risk curve. And I think we have lots of issues to deal with. We have an enormous national debt to deal with. And uh, basically, I don't think interest rates belong where they are. I mean, just think about it. We're borrowing tons of money, and uh, taxes are likely to go up. You know, <laughs> just listen to it. Right now, President Biden is tackling the easy things. All of us want to get the virus behind us, Right. So anything he does to battle the virus is universally welcome. When he starts talking about raising tax on capital gains, raising tax on ordinary income, in, he, in a recent speech, he's talked about fair share. I hate that expression with a passion. What does fair share mean? I've said in your program numerous times, basically, I'm willing to work six months a year for the government and six months for myself, which means a marginal tax rate of 50%. You live in California, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, you're already well past that. Okay, and this fair share is a bullshit concept. It's just a way of attacking wealthy people. And, you know, I think it's inappropriate. We all got to work together and pull together. Well, so, and I think uh, that, that's my view. Work together, pull together. OK, work together, pull together. I think a lot of people would uh, agree with that. I think there is a, a, a large cohort of people who are tired of seeing the system not work for them. Um, and this the system is not working for them. You know, it's the government has created the policy. You know, the government is inflating financial assets. Financial assets are not owned by everyone. They're owned by wealthy people. And the government is trying to get the money back from the wealthy people by raising marginal tax rates, by creating such a low interest rate environment. But look at this way. If you're a 40 percent tax bracket, and I, I think you probably live in New Jersey, so you're probably over 50 percent. If you buy a 1% government bond, you keep 50 basis points. The rate of inflation, 2%, you have a negative return of 1.5%. It's a disincentive to save. It pushes you out to take risk. And so the government is trying to get the money back. It's just not a healthy policy. We have to get back to normal. And it's going to take a while to get there. And as we head back to normal, I think, who knows, it's going to be painful. But not now. You know. But I, I, I think what we're doing is, uh, is going to be problematic for the long term. That's right. my view. So I also think... I wrote a letter to uh, Jay Clayton in December of 2018 saying, you know, reinstate the uptick rule. Okay. There are no stabilizers left in the market. The one thing I tell you, when this market goes down, it's going to go down so fast your head's going to spin. Okay. The brokerage firm, because of the Volcker rule and the absence of any commissions, are no longer in a position to stabilize markets by going against the tide. Secondly, when I came into Wall Street, 80% of the volume was done in the New York Stock Exchange. 80% of the volume is off board, so the specialists are not relevant. And third, in 1900, and I think 38, the SEC enacted the uptick rule to add some stability to markets. In 2007, 
for some unknown reason, the SEC eliminated the uptick rule, which gave rise to all these quantitative traders. And these quantitative traders know everything about price. They know nothing about value. They buy strength. They sell weakness. So they exaggerate the upside. They exaggerate the downside. Why doesn't the SEC speak up and put in some stability into the market? Well, the, other, the other story I wanted to get to, and I, and I want the input of our, our gang, too, um, is the, these brokerages, which are restricting some of the trading today in not only GameStop, but a number of, of other names. Um, Josh Brown, you tweeted earlier, in the end, Wall Street will always change the rules. Um, Mark Cuban has tweeted uh, about it as well, criticizing Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, and some of the others that have, have, have done what they've done. Do you want to just speak to that, Josh? Because it certainly has the ire of um, some of the very types of traders that we're, we're talking about. This only adds fuel to the fire of saying, you know, so only the biggest money can trade and the rest of us are going to sit here and watch these stocks trade down for the rest of the day and our hands are you know, behind our backs? Yeah, so I think that when large, powerful Wall Street interests are put at risk, something, something usually happens that change, changes the rules of the game to allow people to escape. And this is not a recent phenomenon. So I tweeted like uh, the suspension of FASB Rule 157, which arguably, you know, people scratch their heads. Why did the market suddenly bottom on March 9th, 2009, after the S&P sold off 57 percent? It wasn't like um, it wasn't like a biblical miracle. They literally told the banks, OK, you don't have to take any more losses. The write downs are over. Sit with these toxic assets. We won't make them count against you. And the moment they were able to stop selling, they did stop selling. That was the exact bottom in the market. The rules changed. You can go back 100 years ago this week. Um, there was a, a corner underway where the founder of the Piggly Wiggly supermarket, Clarence Saunders from Memphis, came up to Wall Street, hired Jesse Livermore, raised $10 million from banks in New Orleans and St. Louis. And he said, I'm going to crush Merrill Lynch for shorting my stock. And he bought 98% of all the outstanding shares of Piggly Wiggly. He had a gun to Wall Street's head. He had the, the trigger uh, ready to be pulled. And all of a sudden, <laughs> at the 11th hour, before these short sellers had to deliver their shares and basically be bankrupt, the New York Stock Exchange changed the rules. And it bought them time and a reprieve to find new shares to deliver. Guess who ended up getting ruined? The supermarket jerk from uh, from Memphis, not Merrill Lynch. They're still here to this day. So this is an ongoing story throughout history. When Wall Street is threatened, all of a sudden the rules magically change. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I work on the street. I'm just telling you, I'm not surprised that the hedge funds that we all think are in big trouble. I'm not surprised that they've gotten themselves some breathing room. I don't know how it happened. I suspect investigative journalists will piece the story together over the coming weeks and months. Yeah. But well, I'm just telling you how it is. But, but, and, and can I jump in here, Scott? Scott, yeah. yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. Go. Courtney, go first, please, and then Rob. Yes. Oh, one other thing. Well, all one I wanted other, to say is that I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold hey, on. Josh, I'm, Court, about to, I'm about to throw you please. one. Go ahead. Uh, one of my favorites, <laughs> as you guys know, Mr. Sean Corey Carter, Jay-Z, says you can't change a player's game in the ninth inning. And that's exactly what's done. And, I mean, it, it, it's happened across history. We can go into racial and wealth gap disparities. That's a conversation, obviously, for another day. But this is that exact <sighs> 
example of what's happened, right? You can say, okay, it's okay for them to spend all of their money consuming, buying iPhones, buying televisions, buying cars, but the second they want to own the companies, it's no, 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 no. They can't do that. They're not smart enough to do that. You know, and I, I want to just hit really quickly, Scott, on what Leon Cooperman said. And I do agree. And it does concern me a little bit about the hunt for yield and what's going on there. But having more people involved in this market and having the ability to play is a good thing. It is a good thing. Are people going to get hurt? Potentially, yes. In this instance, what happened was retail came up with a better idea. They didn't have the money, candidly, to move this stock, as I've said before, the way it's moved, but they had a good idea in focusing on shorts. Call it what it is. Does it change You know how things are played in the future? Maybe so, but congrats, hats off, kudos to them for coming up with a good idea and being able to follow through on it. I wish I had come up with it. Yeah, Rob Seachin, you wanted to say something, please? Yeah, I think I'm all for retail investors participating in this. But just because you throw the Hail Mary pass in your backyard and it's caught for the touchdown in the wind doesn't mean you're Tom Brady. Just because you hit the putt at the municipal course does not mean you're Tiger Woods. Now, I can tell you there's a lot of talented people out there that are playing backyard football and playing on municipal courses that, that, that probably could do it in the big leagues. But what it's drawn in through these forums is people that are a little less experienced. My son comes home past weekend. He's asking me what to buy on Robinhood. I love the interest. I want him to participate. Exactly. But what I don't like is this almost pump and dump methodology that targets a certain institutional investor asset class. And let's not forget who are the ultimate investors in a lot of these funds. It's CalSTRS. It's Texas Teachers. It's CalPERS. It's college university endowments, which educate our country. There are a lot of small I'm investors. Not, I'm, I'm I know we like to target the big hedge funds and talk about how they but manage money and how they get it. rich themselves. The reality of it is they have a skill set that allows smaller investors through different pools of capital to achieve above average returns and participate in the market. Right, so I think Rob, you need both. But Rob, th there are, to use your metaphor, there are a lot of people who are, have been playing on Augusta uh, for all these years and just learned what it's like uh, when you get a little hubris and you hit 10 balls in the water in a row, okay? Totally. And you get that's, your backside handed to you, right? So let's, let's be clear point. to make that, that point as well, right? The smartest yeah, money my... doesn't always have the best and smartest plays either. I would say, so, actually, and there's some smart money that's in. made some money, Rob. Scott, 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 I don't want to be on the wrong side of this because I'm all for this. I don't want anybody putting words in my mouth. But what I am saying is that there needs to be a balanced perspective on this. Right. And what's important in all this is the structure of the market. And the market is a price discovery mechanism. So, yes, we, we probably will discover the GameStop's not worth three, four hundred dollars a share. That's going to be painful for some people. I think what Scott's point was yesterday, and I think it was a very good one, is that there are going to be unintended consequences of what's happening right now. There will be. And the people that are going to get hurt yesterday, it was the investors in, in hedge funds potentially. 
and and even investors in some of the large securities that the hedge funds had to liquidate just to meet margin calls. So that hurt other types of investors. And you don't want this snowballing effect without some system of checks and balances in place so that when you buy something, think the housing market, prices of housing went out of control because the regulatory framework was not there to protect who ultimately got hurt which was the investor in the house. Lee Cooperman. Can I, can I make a comment? Yes, please. You know, in 2017, GameStop revenues were $8 billion. They're currently running at $5 billion. Okay. The enterprise value was $2.2 billion in 2017. It's now $17.3 It's up eightfold in the face of a 40% decline in revenues. They earned 336 million in 2017. They lost 162 million last year. Okay, I am for, all for the individual it's participation in the market. I'm all for the individual participation in the market, but the market structure is broken, and we have a lot of abnormality taking place. And the public ought to recognize that. Now, I could be dead wrong, but I'm kind of of the view. I never finished a thought. We have three markets out there. We got the Fang market. Right, you you, you went through those. No, but I didn't go through the, the, the and, other. And the, Scott, the it's a market. trade. Everybody's not an investor. Exactly, I understand. I'm sorry, I'm respectfully, sir. John, 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 and Jerrion is a trader, right? I understand. You are an incredible investor. Let me finish my point. The value market, okay? Uh, Ashland Global Holdings, 14 times earnings. Athene Insurance Company, 4.2 times earnings. Citibank. 7.4 times earnings. Cigna, nine times earnings. Mr. Cooper, a big winner for me this year, six times earnings. There's plenty of value in the market, but I say as a generalization, the market is uh, uh, reflecting unstable conditions. We cannot run three, four trillion dollar deficits forever. Okay, We are not able to keep interest rates at zero forever. That's all. Yeah, and I, we have to recognize we pulled demand forward be very careful. I will tell you the history book shows when you're bought into the S&P at 22 or 23 times earnings, the one year, three year, five year returns have been very, very punk. What? And I think that's what we're heading for. I've got to go. But what, what's the most recent stock that you bought? The most recent yeah. stock that I bought is IFF. IFF? International yeah. Flavors. International Flavors. I, don't even... I sold some 105 puts and I bought some common stock. Uh, I've been relatively inactive in the market because uh, I basically believe the market is fully valued, but I don't think it's ready to go down yet, by the way. It's not ready to go down. What I'm waiting for is uh, Fed speak to change. I'm looking for acceleration in wages, some change in economic activity, uh, some inflation acceleration, I'm watching gold. I'm looking for change of direction. But right now, if you accept current interest rates as being sustainable, there's no market to be made for a significant market decline. One thing I'll, I'll point out, their markets do not come about through immaculate conception. Right. No, you've, you've made it. You, you, you've made reasons. the point. You, you've made that point. Right. And the Fed has no the Fed. Has, there's no indication that the Fed's going to turn in your words. And I've cited it um, hostile a, anytime soon. Lee, I greatly appreciate your time. I got to go. Um, OK, nice talking to you guys. Take care. Thank you for being with us. My that's, pleasure. That's Lee Cooperman. We're back in uh, two minutes. Some, uh, some more stocks uh, from our gang. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Time for the futures outlook. U.S. dollars dipping today. Our next guest sees even more downside ahead. That's what Scott Nations thinks. What's your trade? From the ridiculous to the sublime, Scott, because the dollar is the biggest market in the world. It's coming back a little bit from that spike that we saw when everybody was worried about our stock market. Now we're going to have to start paying attention to real returns for uh, the dollar and other currencies. You know, Germany, it's about zero and it's negative here. So I think people are going to sell the dollar for the euro. Uh, less safe haven need. Relative rates are a problem. And with the Fed on hold, the dollar's not going to get any help. Way to play this is to short the dollar futures Dollar index futures at 90, 60. Target to the downside would be 89 even, as you can see. And we're going to trade these with a stop. Always trade these with a stop. 91.10. So at those prices, we're risking $500 to make $1,600. All right, good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Scott Nations, thank you. We'll take another quick Thanks, break. We'll come back talk about Courtney's new moves. We'll do final trades as well. And John's unusual on the other side. All right, John, besides everything... What's your unusual activity today? <laughs> all, right, all right, Scott. Uh, SBSW. This is a miner with the stock at about 15 bucks. They were buying the March 1750 calls. I bought a spread in this one, Scott. Second trade, real quick. The real, real. R E A L is the symbol. Uh, they were buying August 25s. That's the at the money call. Many months out into the future. Love that. I bought it, and I'll probably be in those several months. All right. What's a final trade for me, Doc? Uh, final trade, NVIDIA, one of Josh's favorites. All right, Court, uh, you added to Darden. You bought PayPal, Exxon. I did. A surprising move, maybe. Uh, and Bank of America. you got to be quick, but tell me why on, on at least a couple of those. A couple of those, PayPal. I love fintech. You know that. I gave the viewers the trade, and I was late on it. It dipped below 30, had to get it. Macy's got out of um, and bought some Exxon because it was on a dip. And Bank of America, Brian Moynihan is leading from the top on a number of things, and that stock will be rewarded. Quickly, for it. You, did you sell Macy's because of it was sort of caught up in this too and had a huge surge? You sold it on the big pop. It did, and I got a, I, I, I had a price target on it, and I and I said I got to get out. I mean, it popped almost to twenty twenty one bucks, and I was I got out around seventeen. So wow. um, you know, no knock against Macy's. It was a trade at the time. I, I think that they can turn the corner, um, but it's going to take a while. Josh, final trade, quick. Uber. Rob, you got less than 10 seconds. IWD, rotate into value, Scott. All right. Thanks, everybody. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.